Welcome to Northgate Bible Chapel Online. Thanks for checking out our podcast, where you can listen to our latest sermons, filled with teaching, encouragement, and hope from God's Word. So whether you're outdoors, in the car, or just poured some coffee, let's dive into today's message. God's plans. Um, you know, he mentions in cha- earlier in chapter 9, I think it's verse 4, um, how that they had the law, the covenants, the promises, the, the patriarchs, the prophets. And last but far from least, Christ, the Messiah, um, would come as a Jew and for the Jews first. A special place in God's plans. And so Paul was emphasizing God's plan for Israel, uh, not by unfolding new revelations to them from God, but by showing them how the gospel is consistent with how things have always been with God. Namely, that righteousness comes through faith in God rather than through one's diligent efforts. And so we saw this phrase in, um, in the middle of the chapter, this children of promise, and um, as opposed to contrasted against children of blood, or children of works, so blood being your ancestors, heritage being Jewish, that the Lord is saying through Paul that no, there's more than just being born an Israeli. Um, there, there's this child of promise, and, um, and then also contrasting that against works. Um, you're not earning your way to being a child of God. And so children by promise, meaning God keeps his word, regardless of man's behavior. And so we looked at some examples of this where um, he brought to mind Isaac and Ishmael, for instance, the the child of promise versus the child of the flesh, and how God gave Abraham and Sarah the promised son that he had had promised them, you're going to have a son, they're waiting, it doesn't happen, they take matters in their own hands, and they, so they, they sin, and um, Abraham has this son with um, the handmaid, and it's, his name is Ishmael, but the Lord says, no, that's, that's not the one, and um, I, the one I promise will come through Sarah. And so there's, we see God being faithful, though. He still gives them Isaac, even when their faith failed. And then we see Jacob and Esau, two nations, Israel and Edom, um, two sons that would become two nations, and, and they had the same ancestry, the same godly heritage, um, and Isaac and Abraham, but God would preserve and protect Jacob, um, who was renamed Israel, even though they were no more deserving or worthy than their brother Edom, um, or Esau, his brother Esau, and, or the Edomites. They were all cut out of the same cloth. They were sinners um, in need of mercy. And, and yet the Lord showed special favor to Jacob and his descendants, to the nation of Israel, and because of the promise he had made. And so we see in God's promise to the nation of Israel, um, his prerogative to show mercy and his prerogative to bless um, whom he will, being exercised completely and independently of the worthiness of the object. And so, in fact, being true to his promises, we see through Scripture, through the Old Testament, often involve constant and lengthy periods of God showing divine long-suffering on those who deserve punishment. Um, You may say they were vessels fitted for wrath. 
as we read in our passage, that type of wording. They're fitted for judgment. Um, and so what is the purpose of all of this? And what is the big picture that Paul is explaining? Um, and that's really here in verse 23 of our chapter, I believe, where we read, God's dealing with Israel has been to reveal the riches of his glory. It says that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he has afore prepared unto glory. And so the purpose is God in God's dealing with Israel is to reveal the riches of his glory to them, in treating them as vessels of mercy rather than vessels of wrath, recipients deserving of wrath. And so Paul's message to the Jew of his day has been, if you have been shown God's mercy with no warrant to no merit of your own, but because of God's promises to Israel, you can't question if God is willing to show mercy to Gentiles also, if he wants to include offering his mercy to the entire world, which otherwise, like you, would have been fitted for destruction because of your sin, disobedience to God. And so this would be a hard message for the Jew, particularly a Jew like Paul, who had been working hard to, um, to meet God's righteous requirements or to meet the law. You know, many Jews would boast in the law and um, having their family perhaps a long history of, of fearing God, obeying the commandments, generations go going through painstaking measures um, to be pure before God. So you can think how this message of, that Paul is bringing to them would be challenging. And so I think one of Paul's points is that there's no room for eliteness or for self-glorying um, with God. God's kingdom is not discriminatory. It isn't, it's not just for the super obedient or for those with this, you know, this prestigious ancestry. Rather, it is comprised 100% of recipients of God's mercy, Jew and Gentile alike. And so Paul is pointing out to them all that Israel's purpose all along was to be an example and a loudspeaker, if you will, to the entire world, that they too can be a recipient of God's mercy. And so last week's portion concluded uh, with Paul quoting more materials the Jews of his day would have been very familiar with. Um, those, there's two prophecies John mentioned, one from Hosea and one from Isaiah. And the first from Hosea pointed to the fact that just as God has promised to restore your land to you, speaking to the Jews here in Hosea, to bring Israel back into good standing. Paul uses this verse and says he's, always, he's also doing this with the Gentiles. Um, he will show similar favor to the Gentiles, namely gifting them righteousness and a place in his kingdom. The second from Isaiah um, would be a more sobering and challenging word for the Jews of his day. Namely, reminding them that not all Israel will be saved, but only a remnant. Similar to what he had said earlier in the chapter, that not all of Israel are Israel. Not all of Israel are Israel. This idea of those circumcised in the heart, not just externally. And so two points leading up to our passage today is Gentiles are also going to be called children. And not all Israelites are true children of God. 
And so that really leads us to this question of which are, who are the children of God then? Which get to be part of the remnant? And I believe Paul will address those um, here in our closing verses of this chapter. And so let's read these together. Romans 9, 30 to 33. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Let's pray. Our Father, we give you thanks for this opportunity to open your word again. Father, we pray that as it's open here and with the Sunday school um, children, Lord, we just pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, we, we desire to be taught by you. And, and so, Father, we, we just pray for humility, for brokenness, uh, for a sensitivity to what your spirit would teach us this morning, we pray in the Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so up until this point in our chapter, Paul has largely been looking backwards at how God has dealt with Israel over the ages and the special protections and provisions that he has given them to preserve them. Uh, the entire purpose of which we just said was to bring glory to God by offering salvation to the world. We see that in verse 23 to 24. And so in other words, the majority of chapter 9, I believe, has really been discussing God's sovereignty and um, as displayed over the ages through Israel. But as we see in these closing verses, I think it closes out alluding to man's responsibility. The choices you and I make individually, the choices large groups of people have made collectively over time as God unfolds his plans. A mystery too great for our, men's, our minds to reconcile, but God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And so we see here in our first verse um, that the Gentiles have received righteousness and that they have received it through faith. And so how have they done that? And we see this in, in Galatians 3. Paul really spells this out. Um, clearly here in Galatians 3, 6 to 14. And um, so he says, just as Abraham, so he's, con he's comparing um, the believers of his day to Abraham um, early in the Israelites' history, right? Um, even before the, it was formerly a nation of Israel was Abraham. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So it wasn't Abraham's track record at the end of his life God looked at the tally of all the things good he had done and said you're you must have been a righteous man or I deem you it was his faith his belief in God that was accounted him as righteousness then we go on to verse 8 in the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying in you all the nations shall be blessed I love the wording here Paul is saying God Preached the, gen, or preached the gospel to Abraham, the good news, the good news of the gospel that we read in the New Testament, 
is actually an Old Testament truth as well. It was preached to Abraham that in you all nations shall be blessed. Verse 10, for as many as are the works of the law are under the curse. He's describing a group of people there, as many as are of the works of the law. So people who are of the works of the law, those are the Israelites, the Jews that are looking to keep the law. Well, you are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Verse 11, can't, it doesn't get more clear than this, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. No one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being become, having become a curse for us. And so we see Christ's substitution, the taking the curse that those under the law and that the law points to of all man is that we cannot keep God's righteous standards. And so as a result, we are cursed. So Christ became the curse for us. Verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So Paul, again, explaining to a Jewish audience, Gentiles have gotten the righteousness. You haven't. That's a tough thing for them to hear because they would look at Gentiles and say, like, you mean those people that don't try, that are just, you know, unclean, they're not doing anything um, to please God the way he's outlined. They have reached righteousness and I haven't. Well, he's showing them how. And that's because the Gentiles have received it through faith. And yet you are still trying to receive it through works of the law. And so then we come to... Um, here, verse 31 and 32 is really focused on this, this other aspect. Gentiles have received righteousness, but now Israel has not received righteousness. Israel has not obtained righteousness. And it's not for lack of trying, uh, but for rejection of God's free gift received through faith. Israel did not attain righteousness because they spurned faith in God for a righteousness of their own design and making. Again, we look, you think of the Pharisees, of how many rules even that they had added, that the law just, all it does is, it either should render you um, helpless, and you say, I can't do it, and that's the point of the law. But instead, it, there's this other aspect where you say, well, if we just tweak this and we add this, then I think we can figure this out together. And that's what we see the, the Jews had done adding even much beyond what the Lord gave them, trying to attain righteousness. And so Paul is looking to explain how this isn't a new doctrine for the Jews, um, but it's been the case all along. Great men please God by their faith, not by their accomplishments. Um, and so here we have a uh, supporting passage from chapter 4 of Romans where again, Abraham is used to explain that this has always been the case. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. 
But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. What's the point here? Paul is telling them that wages would indicate that God owes us something or is indebted to us. And that simply cannot be the case. That is impossible. The point was never to earn favor with God. In fact, God does not want there to be any confusion here. It isn't even your faith plus your works. It isn't you, you, you get to the 90 uh, or to the 10-yard line by your efforts, and then he helps you cross the goal line through faith or vice versa. It's completely faith. Righteousness is given to him, it says, who does not work. It's so stark. He wants you to understand, no, there's no part for you to play in this. It is my righteousness alone that will be imparted, none of your righteousness um, that saves you. And so Paul wants his Jewish brethren to see this, that it's nothing new. And um, it's just, it's really interesting. that it, this, is, this is the way it's always been. You read Hebrews 11, you see man and woman after um, repeated, one after another, not for the great things that they did that earned favor, but for their faith. Um, and there's so much we could look at there. And so, um, but we see all through the Old Testament that salvation is of the Lord. He would tell the Israelites' army, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Um, he would promise them um, victory over their enemies. He fought the battles for them, but they needed to step into the land and do it. You see in the book of Judges, he promised them deliverance, and yet they, they, they assimilated with the nations instead of driving them out. He promised to drive them out. You see his sovereignty here, his power, saying, I will do this work for you. I will do the work of salvation. And yet they didn't enter into that. They, they were they mixed with them. You read the opening chapter of Judges, and you see tribe after tribe listed. They did not drive out the nation. They did not drive out the nation. And so there's this mix. God's supernatural power is offered, and man has that opportunity to receive it or reject it. And so this principle of grace, rather than merit, a constant theme. And, um, and so we see here, this passage continues in chapter 4, just as David also describes the blessedness to, of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those who believe, or blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. The Lord is a, Paul is addressing his Jewish brethren at large here, but this is a message that's true for us today. Everyone can read this verse, and if you've come to this, you realize, yes, I am supremely fortunate. I have been so blessed. This, I had no merit. I had no part in getting this. Uh, my righteousness was imputed, no effort on my own, and, and for anyone here that's, that's struggling with this idea of how can I be right with God, his righteousness is offered to you through the sacrifice of his son. And there is no, nothing for you or for me to do um, but to receive it, to receive that as a gift. And so our last couple verses here, um, the, there's this 
picture of a rock that's mentioned, and, and Paul is blending two passages in Isaiah together in this, um, or the Holy Spirit is in this verse, or in these two verses here. And so it's one rock, but there's two, um, there's two outcomes of people who encounter this rock. And so it's either a rock of offense or a rock of foundation. And so Paul closes this section with two separate passages here in Isaiah, and but both are referring to the same rock, um, as Peter says, and that rock was Christ. This was um, a reference to the Messiah, to Christ. And so Isaiah 8, 13 to 15, it's, it's on the screen here. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble. They shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. So this is clearly describing the rock of offense. Many will stumble, and it's referring to the house of Israel. Paul is telling his Jewish friends, this is, was prophesied long ago, that you would stumble when the Messiah was presented, when the rock. Um, and so in I, the second one is from Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. In this idea with not acting hastily, you, you would notice in our passage, um, it's whoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. <clears throat> so slightly different wording. The, the Septuagint, so the Greek translation of the Old Testament, translates the, um, this word, instead of acting hastily, it, it describes it the same word as not ashamed. But I think the idea is you're not rushing, you're not like in a frenzy of fleeing an enemy, let's say, or um, it is with confidence that you're standing um, before that rock. It's your foundation. It is not a rock of offense. And so there is no need um, to fear. And so this idea of like not, you're not fleeing an enemy, complete confidence, foundation. And so Paul's point here is that his Jewish brethren at large had rejected Jesus as the Messiah and as the rock of foundation. And instead, they had been stumbled by Christ, uh, meaning figuratively, deeply, um, deeply offended and deeply disturbed and agitated by um, the Lord Jesus. And so the Jews saw the law as the means for obtaining salvation, um, as opposed to the means of revealing their need for a savior. Uh, they saw the law as a formula rather than the absolute sentence of death that it was. Nobody was supposed to look at the law and find it a recipe um, for righteousness, for their, as in something they can follow and become righteousness. Um, Paul even refers to it elsewhere, the sentence of death. And so this wasn't evident, though, to the Jews. We just read Galatians 3.11 that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. Well, it certainly wasn't evident to um, Jews of Paul's day. 
Um, they were told this in many different ways by Jesus, but they at large insisted that they were in fact righteousness or on the right path. And so the gospel of salvation by Jesus Christ proved to be a rock of offense rather than a rock of foundation for the nation of Israel at large. Um, this is a picture of me. Um, in, uh, so just a quick story, and because um, I wanted to have a, a bit of an analogy for what the law is. And you can see at the right is, if you're not familiar with track and field, that's what's outside most high schools. Um, it's 400 meters, and um, and so there's this race called the steeplechase, and I ran track in high school, and I was not very fast. And one, um, I was a distance runner, and um, you see the blur. I mean, um, I, I wanted to joke that it's blur. The the picture's blurry because I was just running so fast, but it's really just the quality of the picture. And um, so one time, I was I was a distance runner, but the steeplechase is kind of its own animal. So the steeplechase are there's these huge massive hurdles that aren't the kind you see typically like a hurdle that if you clip it with your foot on your way over it just tips over and you're not going to fall this one if you clip it with your foot you're going to fall and um you're gonna it's it's going to stay stand um on its feet you're going to get off your feet and so the, these are hurdles that span like a huge portion of the track and um and it's like usually i think it's a two mile race um or just about that and so once, I, I ran the two-mile race, but not with hurdles. And some of my teammates did this steeplechase. And one time, though, they, uh, all the ones that ran the steeplechase were sick, and my coach was like, we need to put somebody in this event, and so, Ben, you get to run it. I was at a Christian school, and our school was in the middle of a city. We had no track to practice on, certainly no steeples to practice on. So um, we got to this race, and I was like, this can't be too hard. Um, and, and so, of course, I was too proud to, like, to practice on the side, like, how do I get over this thing before the race, and so I was just going to wing it. And so the race starts, and um, I get running up to it, and I'm just like, you're not really cognizant of what people around you are doing, and everyone kind of has their own approach. Some, like, put a foot up on it, like, instead of trying to hurdle it, and then, like, go off on the other side, and others just gracefully glide right over. I try to gracefully, gracefully glide right over. My foot clips it. I fall. It's a, I think it was a cinder track, meaning it wasn't like that rubbery track, um, but like little pebbles that have been packed down. And so I fall. I get up. My knee is just like bleeding. Actually, no, sorry. Oh, I, I'm not a good storyteller. So <laughs> the first thing, the, the first thing that happened was I, I tried to like put my hands on the thing and like swing around. Um, like swing my legs over it, and, certain, and that turned me around. I was facing backwards, like all these people running at me. I was, okay, turn around, start, keep running. Wasn't going to try that again. So next time I tried to clear it, that's when I fell, and I had all these, like, I, I had some nice blood goozing out as I ran, and it was just miser a miserable race. I was, um, I was excited at first when the coach said it because most steeplechases, I don't know if you can see it on the screen, there's this little blue spot here, uh, the steeplechase is kind of unique in that it has a little water pit after one of the, um, the hurdles. And it's deeper right um, at the entrance or closest to the hurdle, and then it gets shallower as you come up. 
And I was like, oh, at least there's this water. That's kind of cool. Like, you make a big splash. It's kind of a fun event that people like to gather around and watch people fall in the water. And, and so, but then it turned out this was kind of a, a rural district. They didn't have as much money, I guess. And, and so it was just, there's no water pit. And so <laughs> the, uh, the only exciting part was rolled out, although it's probably it saved me some further embarrassment. But there was a group of kids from another school that were, like, tracking me because I was, um, I was like entertainment to them during this race. They, they realized this kid does not know what he's doing and, and they just, they kind of went from one end of the track, so if, like spanning the middle to the middle just to watch me. And it's like I had a fan club, but they weren't really cheering for me. Um, I think I finished last. It was, it was really embarrassing and, and challenging, but the point is I, I struggled to think of what a good analogy of the law is. And if you look at this, a track, it's just circular. You don't, you're, it's not getting you from point A to point B. It's you start at point A and you end at point A. And that's really what the law is. It's like, well, get on this track and, and by the end of it, you know, God's track anyways, you're gonna realize that, you know, I haven't gotten anywhere. Like I've tried hard, um, I've bloodied my knees. And, and so um, that's really, it's, it's not a perfect analogy, but I, I felt like that's what the law was to the Jews. And they were happy to be on that because they really thought they were getting to point B. And, but it's almost like that hamster wheel, right? Um, or the hamster on that um, spinning the wheel and never getting anywhere, but running furiously. It's, it's like the Lord offers rest. He offers um, righteousness apart from the law, apart from that striving to please him. And what a gift of salvation. Um, and, it's, and it is so good that a lot would look at that and say, you know, that's just too good to be true, that God would offer me his righteousness um, and, and I don't have to do anything for it. And yet that's, that's why this was so hard for the Jews. They had the law, and so they were just like, no, we, we can figure this out. And so um, <clears throat> the law, the point of the law is to show me I was foolish to even race. I was foolish to even put myself in the race, uh, to think I could compete, to show me that only God can meet God's standards of holiness, his standards of righteousness, and um, that my only hope would be if God could make me righteous just as he is. And so that is exactly what Paul is telling his Jewish brethren. Jesus perfectly completed the race on your and my behalf. His death and resurrection paved the way for you and I to enter into his righteousness. But it's by grace and through faith. And so Jesus, just a closing, a couple passages here in closing that I think are um, help put a cap on this passage. And so one is to think about the words of Simeon at Jesus's entrance into this world. Um, there's this man, Simeon, it just says he's a godly, righteous man, and he comes to Mary and Joseph, and um, here in chapter 2, verse 30, my, he says about Jesus now, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He is praying this to God. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles in the glory of your people, Israel, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. 
Verse 34, then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for the fall. Sounds like a stone of stumbling. For the fall and the rising, a rock of foundation of many in Israel. And for a sign which will be spoken against, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So Jesus was the, the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy of this rock of offense, a rock of foundation. Simeon, in Jesus' day, um, also prophesied of Jesus that he would be one that many would fall at and also one that many would rise at. And so here we see, in, um, in closing, a very similar passage or reference to this rock um, of the Lord Je being the Lord Jesus. And, and so let's just read this in closing. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. Do you see that? Living stones. That's, that's the significance of Jesus being the cornerstone. Um, he is that cornerstone that everything, the building, is built around. That is the chief cornerstone. And then we, as living stones, are being built on him, our foundation, the stone, of, the rock of foundation. And so, lost my spot here. Um, you also, verse 5, as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It's not through my efforts. It's through Jesus Christ. My spiritual sacrifices are acceptable to God. Therefore, verse 6, it is, a, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word. Sorry, didn't change it. They stumble, being disobedient to the word. <clears throat> to which they were also appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dear friends, Jesus is a reality that every man, boy, um, girl, woman, everybody must face him. Uh, in the analogy of scripture, he will either be your stone of stumbling or your stone of foundation. Um, if he's a stone of stumbling, if you end in that state, he will be your judge that will pronounce you guilty for not taking his free gift of salvation. And instead, you'll enter the place of eternal torment that God had prepared for Satan and his angels. Um, or Jesus will be your solid foundation. Um, to those who put their faith and trust 
in him for salvation from their sin. They receive mercy. They receive forgiveness. They receive his righteousness. A foundation. Um, and so this was the message Paul desperately wanted his Jewish brethren to realize. And, and this is the message God wants each of us um, here today to be keenly aware of, that Jesus paid it all. Uh, will you receive his free gift and stand on his merits alone? Let's pray. Our Father, we give you thanks um, for your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you looked on us in such pity. We were vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. Lord, we had um, all of us gone astray, turned every one of us to our own way. And so, in mercy, you sent your Son to stand in our place before you as judge. And Father, we thank you that you poured out all your wrath upon him, and that in him we can be forgiven. Father, we give you thanks for his righteousness that will always be our only righteousness. No matter how long we've known you, how long we've, we've been saved, we will never add anything to his righteousness. It will always be your, the beauty of your son that pleases you. And that is his fragrance that we, um, that we have been engulfed in. And so, Father, we give you thanks for this wonderful salvation. We pray that if any here do not know you, that their eyes would be opened to the incredible gift that's just for theirs to receive through faith. We give you thanks in the Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen.